hey babe, I bought you Rihanna's album. Like, it's just for you. Listen, even when we get a million, couple million views on YouTube, we're still making a small trickle of income. 60,000 new songs a day are coming out on Spotify and even more on YouTube. Welcome to the Media Jungle. I'm your host, Alex Regeer. We have a great show for you today. Our rock star panel is none other than Jesse Kay, a longtime friend, music marketing deal maker, started out as an A&R for artists like, or actually a talent manager for artists like Pusha T, J. Cole, before pivoting to new agency in New York City, and now the CMO of digital events company Dreamstage. And of course, Moshe Wanunu is here, the smartest newsman on Instagram. Instagram, former executive producer for CBS News, Bloomberg TV, you name it, and now president of Mo Digital. Music looks different. Before musicians would sell CDs, hope to get on radio or MTV, now they need to become an influencer. You think the Beatles had to worry about content strategy? You gotta be on TikTok. Did Addison Ray dance to your song? How much content do you create? You have Twitch. How do you engage your audience? Do you have any non-fungible assets? It's exhausting. Last year, an artist named Grime sold an NFT for six. $6 million. Who is that? In 2006, artists were selling ringtones. How much would a Beyonce NFT go for if Grimes made $6 million? Nas is using an NFT to sell the future royalties of his newest album. So the album's like a stock and the fans are investors, but it actually makes sense. You probably know more about your favorite artist than the Board 8 Yacht Club. Streaming revenue is booming. Warner music stocks are soaring and there's money falling from the NF trees. So now artists need an audience audio engineer and a crypto engineer, a manager and a social media manager, an agent and an investment banker. Feels like we're not in Kansas anymore. Welcome to the media jungle. First topic, Nas is selling 50% of the future royalties of his next two songs. He's going to do this on a new music investment platform called Royal. It was founded by EDM DJ Blau and raised $55 million in November with a lot of artists investing. Chain smokers, Nas, Logic, Disclosure, and venture capital firm Andreessen Horowitz. So how does it work? For one of the songs, $99 will get you 0.0133% of the shares of the future royalties. For $499, you get 0.0658%. Or for $9,999, you get 1.5789%. And you get VIP concert tickets, signed vinyls, and other perks. Is this a good investment? MusicAlly.com calculated that the song would need to get to 34 million streams before the NFT investors would make a profit. That actually gives a strong incentive for them to promote the album. Either way, albums are the new stocks and Nas is having an IPO. You want in? Let us know what you think. Jesse, this sounds super complicated. <laughs> it sounds like uh, investment banker thought this up, but like, what do you think this really means for the artists and what does it mean for the fans? This is the early innings of Web3. This is what the future is. This is a chance for artists to be the creators, to be the CEOs of their brand, to talk directly to their fans and let their fans not only say, I love this artist, but support them in a meaningful way and share in the upside. That's a big premise of what Web3 is. This is an NFT to the next level because you can actually see the utility and you can watch and listen to this song and play it for everybody and say, I own a piece of that. This is not a JPEG. 
This is the evolution of the music business. It makes more sense. But like if it's stock, like does that mean that like private equity and hedge funds are just going to buy up like Drake's next album? It's going to have to be about finding and developing the new artists. This is a case study. Nas is allowing old music that won a Grammy last year to now be purchased by fans and allowing all these perks and incentives so that if you're there first, you become a collector and then you can retrade it. But right now already, the 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 venture firms are buying into publishing. This is a chance for the fan community to get involved and to support artists grassroots and be a part of their story and their success. It's funny. You could see like uh, a, a billionaire is going to be like, hey, babe, uh, I bought you Rihanna's album. Like, it's just for you. <laughs> I mean, that's what Martin Scarelli did with Wu-Tang's album yeah. a while back. And, and then a DAO, a Web3, the Pleaser DAO, bought the entire uh, album and now is only going to be listened to by the people in that DAO. And it's shared for special events. And this is what Web3 is all about. It's about making the fans into shared participants in the upside. One, one statistic that I found notable and, and probably explains why some of these artists are trying to uh, or need to innovate is that in 2019 and 2020, 90% of music streams went to the top 1% of artists. And I don't know if Nas falls in, in that group, but I found that pretty stunning that 99% of artists are sharing in the 10% of streams. Where, where are artists right now, Jesse, when it comes to making up for the revenue they once had in the CD era, if you will. Well, that was always the case, right? There was always a hit business driven by the top. It's hard for the long tail of artists to make revenue. During the pandemic, though, where live touring was on hold, 75% of an artist's traditional income was all of a sudden put on pause with no clear visibility on how it would come back. So they did have to innovate. And we did see new revenue streams coming in from more brand partnerships than ever and the NFT space kind of saving the day. So I, I think that this can help if you're a community activist and you're an artist that really cares about your fans and wants to build deeper relations. This is an opportunity to create middle class and working class artists that can be supported by a thousand true fans, 10,000 true fans. When you can have a huge amount of fans, there's no way that you can really support an artist except to go to their concert. Now you have like ways to support them or participate in their growth, huh? Direct with no middlemen. All the, if you're going to a show that you're buying a ticket through Ticketmaster, it's going to a promoter, how much really trickles to an artist? The same thing with buying an album. But if you're buying an NFT or if you're supporting an artist direct in this fashion, you are directly connected to the artist. And this wasn't created by an investment banker. This was created by an artist DJ that really understands the NFT market and the crypto world and comes at it from a financially savvy place, but is creating what he believes and what I think is to definitely be a future opportunity for fans and artists to connect in a deeper way. You know, what I find interesting is that there's a natural evolution here that, you know, Patreon was founded by a band uh, and they were trying to tell their fans, they're like, listen, even when we get a million, couple million views on YouTube, we're still making, you know, a small trickle of income. And so music folks got together and created Patreon. And obviously that's used by a whole variety of creators outside the music industry. But, you know, and, and I do think that they have found that the fan base wants to support, wants to keep these folks alive and that, you know, using their song on a TikTok post or an Instagram is only going to make them a fraction of a cent. 
Uh, one interesting question I have, though, is that if I buy now a portion of Nas's album, am I now buying a security that I'm going to have to pay capital gains tax on at some point when I sell it? I, I'm, I'm interested in terms of how this will end up getting regulated because you're basically, you know, what Alex was saying earlier, you're buying a share of, of a company that, or a, in this case, a creator. Absolutely. This is a full on asset. This is treated like the NFTs. This is treated like crypto. This is treated like a stock. This is treated like buying art. And this could make you a lot of money. Maybe not this not particular Nas project, but you will find the next big artist. And if you have conviction and you bet early and that song ends up becoming a hit, it's a very lucrative endeavor. So it can be a lot of fun to be a fan right now, but you definitely have to uh, have your accountant aware of these investments. And this is a whole crypto world is, is a complicated accounting space. So is the music side. So there's going to need to be new specialists that step up. I like it because it'll kill all the arguments where people are like, Kendrick's the best, Drake's the best. They'll be like, put your money where your mouth is. Who, who are you buying? You know, that's right. And if you think you're the supporter from day one, you can really show that if you're the fan that's early on this artist, you will know because there will be a proof of purchase. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like saying I bought Apple stock at $10 or whatever. You're like, I bought that song when it was worth this much and now it's worth that much. I like it more than a lot of the things we've seen in a lot of the crypto space because you actually can understand what it is. It's more understandable. It's more kind of logical. Music once again is leading the trend. And that's like what we see in the digital revolution. It was the first to be decimated by Napster and the digital revolution. And now it's already, because it's so relevant, because it resonates with everybody, because it's the universal language, music, again, is leading the trends in digital. Yeah, and it's leading it back up. That's where, that's a great segue to the next segment about the creator economy in the music industry, artists starting their own labels. As we mentioned uh, they figured out how to make money with streaming. Music looks a lot different these days, as I said. Uh, Jesse, maybe you can kind of go through uh, how music looked when you started out like over a decade ago and now how it's kind of evolved into an actual place that uh, there's an actual strong business model. The era of the CDs were right when I came into the music business was a very lucrative time for the record labels. They were selling these CDs that make maybe a dollar to, to make by the tens of millions. And it was just a lot of money coming into the record labels. That has totally changed. This is a very diversified industry now where you've got streaming money, you've got touring money, you've got brand partnerships, you've got tech innovations, you've got investments. Artists are really more than ever the creators or the the CEOs of their own brand and the fans are their influencers. The fans are the ones that are out there spreading the message on their behalf and even investing in their projects in ways that they couldn't traditionally in the past. I love this chart on Charter. It starts at like tracking where the industry was going. You saw the CDs dominating it for 20 years. Then you saw, you know, it just had nothing. You had ringtones and downloads, and then now streaming looks like it actually is a sustainable model. Streaming is now where vinyl was in 1983 in terms of revenue, just to, just to show you kind of that there's, they still haven't quite hit the 20 billion mountain that they'd hit in 2000. And what's wild is that vinyl is having this nostalgic moment. People want it. Vinyl sales are up. Music is doing really, really well. It's a healthy business again. And when I started my career, it was not. It was on a downward swing. And now all of a sudden, it's firing on all cylinders. Obviously, the touring side's having its trouble. But 
one thing is that 60,000 new songs a day are coming out on Spotify and even more on YouTube, which means it is really hard to digest all of the music coming out every week on these streaming platforms, like most content places. So it's a lot of content coming at you. There's a lot of music being created, but there's also a lot of shit music that's just filling the the streaming platforms so jesse what would you say because because on one side you have the whole booming on the independent creator booming but then you have to be your own ceo and deal with all that like i said in the intro but on the other side the big labels are also booming because uh streaming is an actual business model if you were a young artist how would you make that decision as to go to a, a label or to build your own kind of creator company it really depends on what you want to be. If you want to be in the top 10, then a record label really is a great place to do that. But you need to build your own leverage. So as an artist, you want to know how to build grassroots, social media, and NFT, and Web3 relationships, and be able to put your music out there and create a fan base. Because because of that, you will have leverage with your major label deals if you end up getting a hit or if you end up climbing the charts. But if you don't, you don't need the major labels. You can find backing from a community and create a sustainable business model by just consistently releasing music. And in the end, looking at 2021, which was a huge uh, uh, moment for music, how, how do you kind of see that year and the year moving forward, Jesse? 2021, and because of the pandemic, has changed music forever and has opened up the eyes to what Web3 and NFTs and companies like Royal are. And as well as this has been a birth of the live stream era and like we've never seen before. And more and more artists are going to include live stream in their overarching strategy. Uh, and so with that, as well as the fact that dynamics are shifting in the music business, we're now Artists are getting better deals from record labels or demanding better deals from record labels or understanding that they need to own their masters. The predatory practices of the past are not going to fly in the future, and that's going to create a lot more opportunity and upside for artists and help the uh, relationship between artists and labels be continuously more and more healthy. You're getting choked up there. I am. You're I'm about excited. to cry. It's so good. <laughs> you know I'm so excited you know to so, see that this is a change. It's a much it's, necessary it's so change interesting. in music. It, it's so interesting, Alex, because you brought up the example of the Beatles in your introduction. And like the Beatles, for their, you know, to their credit, started their own, um, you know, record label Apple back then because they felt they were being, partially because they felt they were being burned by the record label. So, um, you know, music, it, there's more than a you know, half century now of innovation but like credit to the Beatles who then, you know, they put James Taylor's album out first with their record label and found there was an opportunity for them to make more money. So we can go far back in, you know, kind of 20th century music history to find that um, musicians have really been on the forefront of, of innovation when it comes to, you know, how to, um, how to best distribute and, and also uh, make money, generate revenue off their music. That's actually a good segue to the next segment. Influencers are everything. It's not just musicians and celebrities. Journalists are influencers now. The new media company formula is a big business guy and a star influencer journalist multiplied by some cheap money. Low interest rates and record stock prices mean there's a lot of money to play with. Last week, Ben Smith, former editor-in-chief of BuzzFeed, and Justin Smith, the 
CEO of Bloomberg Media, said they're starting a, quote, new kind of global news media company that serves unbiased journalism to a truly global audience. Sounds a lot like Vice, Bloomberg, or in the 80s CNN, but when money's cheap and you have the formula, there's nothing to lose. Mosh, I'd love to hear your take on this. You know, this comes after a lot of uh, other media companies were founded by these new influencer journalists. You have Puck, The Information, Axios, Punchbowl News. Everyone's jumping ship from the big networks. You left CBS News, too. How do you see this playing out? It's interesting to kind of see this, uh, see where this unfolds uh, into, because right now the details are very scant. There's a, I don't know if you guys saw the New Yorker interview with Ben Smith on this, but they tried to get him to give any details whatsoever, and he gave no details on coverage area, size, format, cadence, size, any anything whatsoever as to what this will be besides a venture that will serve 200 million English-speaking college-educated readers. Now, what we do know is there's a problem in the media, right? There's a lack of trust. Um, consumers are looking for unbiased news, so they're hitting the key points. It will be interesting, though, to see kind of where they find their niche. Um, I think if you look uh, most recently in the last couple of years, a lot of what you've seen in the news industry is ha- picking a handful of creators, reporters, if you will, putting them together in some sort of uh, confederation, commonwealth, mm-hmm. if you will, and then letting them do their thing. That's the premise of Puck. That's what the couple of reporters from Punchbowl did. Um, yeah. Axios tried to pick a, a handful of superstars, and then they added to that kind of you know giving you bullet point news and so that'll be interesting is kind of as the modern uh, consumer consumes things, how are they going to cater to that? Because I don't think the world needs another, you know, uh, our former home, Bloomberg. They do a good job of being Bloomberg. You don't need another Bloomberg. You don't need another New York Times. So how do they do all of that? So right now, you know, you two smart guys, Mr. and Mr. Smith, right, um, who have <laughs> done some good things. And you would have said in a previous era, one of them runs Bloomberg. The other one is the New York Times media columnist, a job you can have for life. Why would you leave those jobs? Um, but at the same time, you know, it takes you back to the scene of social network where uh, um, now I'm totally zoning on his name, says to a young Zuckerberg, why be a millionaire when you could be a billionaire? Uh, and I think that's the same thing going through the heads of journalists who are like, why am I sitting here being a reporter for somebody else when I can run my own media organization? And the money's so cheap that it's like if you get the, the, the formula of the star reporter with the business guy, you could start, you could raise a good amount of money if you want to do it, I guess. But the other pe- a lot of people are just jumping ship to go on Substack, and there's that whole kind of trend. Uh, last week we saw even in the video journalism side, we've had Johnny Harris go to Bright Trip and Cleo Abrams last week from Vox. Uh, she's going solo. That sort of is a little different. That's just kind of like I'm going to create my own thing to live out my passion. Influencers are the new creators and their fans and their community are the new influencers and they can spread the message And it's a really exciting time because you can watch them create in real time. And there's so many tools for influencers like Substack, like Patreon, like all these other uh, organizations so that it's really conducive to create more and more um, of these, these kind of CEOs or creators or media hubs. And the platforms are very encouraging of it. They want more and more content. So it's become this kind of like feedback loop of more and more creators 
or more and more influencers turning into creators and their fans galvanizing the message and more and more tools to support it. And the fans, are in the, or, or in this case, the, the viewers and the readers are a key component here when it comes to news because of the distrust they have for major organizations. So one of the reasons you see this trend line happening is because the creators, the journalists see that like their audience, that having that name, a brand under them doesn't have the cachet once did. In fact, in, in, in some cases, it serves as an impediment to growing your audience and being independent, people now trust individuals. They trust influencers and the news media is no stranger to that. And so you're gonna see more and more, but you're also seeing Alex like a divide between who's successful on Substack and those new platforms. And then folks are going independent and not quite making it there. So you'll see eventually we'll be talking in about nine months about the trend of certain individuals going back to institutions, those who weren't able to make it. Um, it'll be interesting yeah. to kind of see how this plays out. Yeah, you see, you saw like Ezra Klein do that. There's also like, most of these people are almost opinion columnists too. It's not like it's, they're the ones breaking the big news. When I was a journalist uh, at Bloomberg, it was like, that was, that was all I was doing. I couldn't do anything else except try to find and find the information for, to do the story, to hold, you know, power accountable. But like, I can't really see that doing that if you also have to be your own COO and your own like salesperson. There are limitations to what you can do when you decide to not just be a reporter anymore, but run your own media company. And I think that's probably the challenge that musicians are having, too, to the previous conversation, which is, you know, you now need to be competitive on TikTok and YouTube and Instagram and Spotify and figure out your crypto strategy. And so it does require a larger team, but, you know, a larger reward, uh, you know, ideally it's an investment for a larger reward in the end. Just quickly, in other uh, media news last week, The New York Times agreed to acquire subscription sports site The Athletic in a deal valued at $550 million. So New York Times Sports makes sense. New York Times says it will purchase it. This purchase will get it to its goal of 10 million subscribers by 2025. Mosh, uh, is this, uh, this is, what do you think about this? I, I think it's, it's so interesting because The Athletic has been held up as this successful model uh, for creating a new media organization. Um, I know that there's some investors recently who expressed frustration that The Athletic sold at this level, that in their most recent fundraise, they actually raised at a $500 million valuation. So there are folks internally who are like, you know, you could have become a billion dollar company. I don't know, you guys sold prematurely. At the same time, you could say that the folks who started The Athletic um, you know, also can see that the uh, the road of media is littered with folks who didn't take a good deal when they had it either. So you're always kind of managing, like, is this the best we're going to do? What are the risks associated with, with, with et cetera? Though I do think that the New York Times, as it continues to uh, double down on a subscription strategy, um, given where the, the state of digital advertising is, this is a smart move for them. Um, and, you know, this builds a really big uh, niche for them when it comes to sports. And I think the 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 uh, way that the athletic has approached subscriptions, which is like no matter where you live, you might like the following football team in England in the Premier League. 
you might like a hockey team in New York and you might like a college uh, sports team in L.A. And we can give you a unique combination of coverage related to your specific interests, which really broke the model that existed, you know, since the beginning of sports coverage, which is you get your local newspaper. And our assumption is if you live in Chicago, you like all the Chicago sports teams. Um, so the athletic really kind of turned it on its head. So I think having that DNA with The New York Times is a huge plus. New York Times, the question is. How does the New York Times not do what many media companies do, which is ruin acquisitions? <laughs> um, how do they continue to, to let the athletic innovate and grow in a way that it should? Yeah, and 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 it, for the New York Times, it's really a lot easier to sell ads on sports than on news. So it's definitely a way that they can leverage their relationships there. Next week, though, we'll be focusing on crypto, Web3, NFTs, all of that. If you have any ideas, questions about the podcast, send me an email, DM, leave a comment below. You can find Jesse K at the Beats and Bytes newsletter. It's a great one. I've been reading it for years. You can also follow Moshe, Moshe, M-O-S-H-E-H, with an H at the end on Instagram. Uh, Jesse Mosh, thanks so much for joining. Wow, you made it to the end of the podcast. Thanks so much for listening. By the way, we also are a video podcast where you can see extra memes, charts, visuals about the segments. So you can find that on YouTube or subscribe to our Substack newsletter for exclusive updates. And thank you so much for listening. See you next week.